This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. Agudner Shabbos. I'm Mashi Lipsker. Delighted to be with you on this Shabbos, Erev Shabbos, the sixth day of the month of Tammuz. And Tammuz, for us as Lubavitchers, is a very special month. Ninety years ago, 1927, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe was miraculously freed from communist prison, miraculously, where a death sentence and then 10 years hard labor and then three years of exile were all commuted. And ultimately, he left that country and ultimately came to the United States in 1940 with great miracles, great miracles to travel, to get out of war-torn Europe, to travel during the war, and to arrive safely in the United States. And when he arrived, thousands of people came to greet him. And when they saw him, they all shouted, Shalom Aleichem. It was very emotional. The Chabad Hasidim said, something that expressed their Gratitude to Hashem for having miraculously taken the Rebbe out, previous Rebbe out from war-torn Europe. Miraculously. There were so many obstacles. The story is beyond belief. But when he came to the United States, there were many, um, many Jewish leaders who approached him. They told him, thank God you're here, now you'll rest. And he said, I did not come to America for my own health, for my own rest. I came to America because in heaven it it has been decreed that America should replace the um, yeshivas and all of the wonderful institutions in Europe that were now being decimated. And they looked at him in a sense, with pity and said, Rebbe, you don't understand. America is different. America is Anders. And he said, America is nicht Anders. America is no different. The whole world belongs to Hashem. God created this world so that he would have a dwelling place in this world. God created this world so that we prepare every corner of this world to become a fitting home for Hashem a place where Hashem would be comfortable, a place where holiness and God's blessing would pervade every place, every person at every time. And the previous Rebbe said, America is nicht anders. The previous Rebbe said about on that day to open a yeshiva. And He was followed a short while later, a year and four months later, by our Rebbe, and that's when the work really got started. Of course, in 1927, the third day of Thomas was a day of rejoicing because previous Rebbe left the notorious Spalerne or Spalerki prison. 23 years ago, on that same date, our Rebbe passed away. And the connection between the two of them is extremely, extremely close 
for many reasons. First of all, the previous Rebbe was our Rebbe's Rebbe. Secondly, the previous Rebbe was his father-in-law. It was the Rebbe's wife and the daughter of the previous Rebbe who convinced the Rebbe to take the mantle of leadership in 1950, but actually formally at the first yard site of the previous Rebbe in 1951, for she was so closely linked with the work of her father and could not bear to think that her father's work would, God forbid, stop. And what was her father's work? Father's work was work of love and self-sacrifice, love and dedication to Hashem, to the people, to God's dream, with tremendous love for the individual. He did not worry about his own safety, he did not worry about his own comfort. The previous Rebbe, led by example, the previous Rebbe, who was the mentor of our Rebbe, had a saying which was, La'alter l'teshuva, la'alter l'geula. The previous Rebbe said, we must quickly return to Hashem, get our priorities right. And if we do that, the great redemption we are waiting for, the great moment of Mashiach, the great time when God will come to dwell amongst us, in an open way, in a joyful way, where there will no longer be war, there will no longer be strife, there will no longer be illness, there will no longer be hunger, there will no longer be jealousy or competition. Everybody will seek just to know Hashem more and more. For the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the seabed. And our Rebbe, alongside his father-in-law, worked tirelessly to set the foundation, despite the fact that it was America, who everybody said is Anders, is different. They both showed America's no different. And it was the yard side of our Rebbe this week. And in order to know how to conduct oneself on the yard site, we look at what our Rebbe directed the Chassidim to do when they asked him, what do we do at the yard site in 1951? And we've taken that exact letter that he wrote to the Chassidim with 15 points of what to do on the day or what to do on the Shabbos before and follow it closely. The amazing thing is that after the 16 points, actually, the Rebbe said, if prevailing conditions allow, all of the above should be continued, should of course be continued during the days following the Yorzeit and particularly on the following Shabbos. So for us today, the sixth day of the month of Tammuz is a day which is closely linked with the third day of Tammuz and prepares us for the Shabbos that follows. And what are some of those things that one should be dedicated to? Well, some of those things were that every in every congregation, they should choose someone to lead the prayers, someone that the community respects, someone for whom it will be a privilege 
And in the congregations where everyone is able to lead the prayers, it should be divided. Somebody for the Myriv service, somebody for the Chakra service, somebody for the Mincha service, so that a greater number of people will have the privilege. Of course, with our Rebbe, there are no children. The previous Rebbe had only daughters. But with our Rebbe, there are no children. The story is told of a family that visited the Rebetzin in her home. And there was a little child. And the child seemed to be looking for something or someone. And eventually, this little four-year-old approached the Rebetzin and said, Where are your children? And the Rebetzin answered with tears in her eyes, My children are in 770. My children are in the shul. In other words, the Rebbe and Rebetzin's children are all of us. As um, former chief rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Jonathan Sachs put it, he said, never has a childless man had so many only children. All of us, each of us, made the Rebbe so happy. When the Rebbe would meet with anyone, he was able to look at them and the love that just poured out and he would encourage them to do one more good thing. He would see what they needed, where they were going, and help them on the way. That was his passion. His passion was people. The stories abound. But the stories, the new stories keep coming out. There are stories of things that happened when the Rebbe was a young man, during the war, things that happened in Leningrad, things that happened in Yekaterinoslav, things that happened in Nikolaev. Yekaterinoslav today is Dnepropetrovsk. Things that happened in Berlin, things that happened in Paris, in all the places where the Rebbe was, or where the Reb and Rebetzin lived, the contact they had, the impact they had, in a quiet, discreet, but loving manner, keeps on surfacing. The impact that the Rebbe had before he became Rebbe in the United States. People who tell the most amazing stories. Heard recently about a story where a couple was having marital difficulties, and the Rebbe and the Rebetzin would visit them to counsel them. But the most amazing stories are not the stories that have happened, but that are happening. And there's a story that I just cannot help but smile and feel excited about because it actually happened in my family. Not that many stories didn't happen in our family, but... This is one that I want to share with you right now. Two years ago, on Gimel Tamuz, the 21st Yorzeit of the Rebbe, in 2015, our daughter, Leah Shemtov, who lives in Stamford, Connecticut, took all of her children to the Ohel. The Ohel is the gravesite of the Rebbe and the previous Rebbe. 
And before going in to the actual area of the gravesite, everybody sat down, as is the custom, to write a letter. It's called a pan, a pidyon nefesh, a request, a soul request. And at that time, the children were of various ages, and her little daughter called Rivka was about six, seven weeks before turning six years old. She was five and a half. And Rivka and all the children wrote their panim. They wrote their notes to the Rebbe and waited their turn. On the long lines, two, three hours, till they got inside the Oihel. And then they had a few minutes there because there were thousands of people waiting as there are at every yard site. I mean, on a regular day, you can have hundreds of people. On a special occasion, thousands. On that, on Gimel Thomas, tens of thousands of people wait hours round the clock. When they got back into the car, Rivka said to her mother, Mommy, do you want to know what I wrote in my pan? So her mom said to her, Rivka, that's private between you and the Rebbe. Between you and standing at the graveside of a tzaddik, what do we do? We're, we're praying to Hashem that in the merit of the tzaddik and his holiness that we should be able to be answered. So Rivka said, I want to tell you. Mom said, yes. She said, I prayed that Aviva's mother should have a baby. Now, Aviva is a child in Rivka's class who had already turned six and had no brother nor sister. So our daughter Leah said to her, how do you know that Aviva's mother, sorry, that Aviva wants a baby, wants a sibling? She said, no, I, I was, I had a play date with her. I went to play there and she told me. So Rivka then turned around and said, and I said to her, I think I can get it for you. Not for sure, but I think I can. So her mom smiled broadly that the upbringing and the, the education that she's giving the child, that when you pray at the graveside uh, of, a, of a righteous man, your prayers are heard. And she said to the child, that's very nice. And she actually messaged all of us. Wasn't it cute? Wasn't it sweet? And she actually messaged Aviva's mom. And that was the end of the story. Five months later, Aviva's family walked to their shul. They didn't often come because they live far. They go to another shul. And Aviva's mother drew Rivka's mother aside and said, I think Rivka's prayers have been answered. I think Rivka's tefillahs have been answered. So Leah said, what do you mean? So Aviva's mom said, it was Yom Kippur, and I did not feel well. And after Yom Kippur, I phoned my doctor, described my symptoms. And first the doctor said, mm, could be this, could be this, could be this. And eventually the doctor said, you could be pregnant. So Aviva's mom said, but you told me I could never have more children. 
And the doctor said, well, maybe I was wrong. She took a test, and sure enough, there was another baby on the way. Amazingly, that baby was born last year, Erev Pesach, right next to the Rebbe's birthday. The stories now, and the power that each one of us has, and the power of a child, the purity of a child. In fact, I recently heard a talk from the Rebbe, where the Rebbe said that each and every person carries all ages inside of them. That even in an old person, there's youth. What characterizes youth? Passion, vigor, determination, the hope and the understanding of possibility. A child is positive. A child believes. We all carry that inside of ourselves. Nothing should get us down. We must know that there is hope. We must know, as Rivka said, I think I can get it for you. Not for sure, but I think I can. To know that Hashem does not leave us. The world is not an easy place. The world is a challenging place and our lives are not simple. But to know that everything comes from Hashem and that he has always put the cure before the illness. He has always put the answer before the question. He's always put the solution before the challenge. We're not in control of most things, but we are in control of the way we react or choose to react. So the story is told of a chosset of the third Rebbe, and we might have shared it on the radio. And that chosid was Reb Michal. It's a great chosid. One day, Reb Michal's child got ill. Many doctors were consulted, and ultimately the biggest doctor said there was no hope. In fact, the doctor came to check the child and said it was a matter of hours. The parents were distraught. Reb Michal didn't know what to do. He went to shul. And he sat down and uncharacteristically was so upset and so down. And some of his fellow chassidim gathered around and said, what is going on? What's wrong? The story poured out. So his good friend said to him, you must go to the Rebbe. And he said, I would dearly love to go, but the doctor said it's a matter of hours. And the friend said, you must go. Come, I'll go with you. And together they went to the Rebbe. And when they got there, of course, Rebbe Michal didn't know if the child was still alive. They got there, and by divine providence, he was able to immediately go into the Rebbe's study to meet with the Rebbe. As he came in, he began to weep bitterly. The Rebbe asked him what was wrong. He said to him, this is a story I don't know, even now, if the child is still alive. And the Rebbe said to him, Tracht gut wird sein gut. Think good and it will be good. You will still dance at his children's, you'll still be at his children's bar mitzvahs. Rebbe Michal came out of the Rebbe's room, and it took him some time to actually 
get on top of the situation. The Rebbe said, think good. The Rebbe said, this is what you have to do. This is what you need to do. Rebbe Michal began to think and work on himself to banish the facts as they were, to banish the reality the way the doctor had read it. And he noted the time that he finally managed to get on top of things. And he began to think good. Of course, this was all on the trip home. When they got home, they came into the house, and the doctor came out with a smiling face. The crisis had broken, and the child had turned a corner. Reb Michal asked the doctor, what time did it happen? And the time coincided with the time that Reb Michal had managed to tracht gut, to think positively. Our Rebbe taught us and by example showed us to think positively and to act on that positivity and to see the good in everything. People would ask the Rebbe certain things and one would think the Rebbe is just going to give a blessing or whatever. The Rebbe would turn it around into something incredibly positive. He saw it as potential. Every difficulty was really potential for incredible, incredible growth and achievement. The Rebbe became Rebbe after the war. After World War II, the nation was broken. The world trembled. There was hope, but there was tremendous, tremendous fear. There were people who had given up. There were people whose lives had been smashed to smithereens where not only the family was gone, the whole town was gone. Everything had shifted. Everything that gave support, everything that gave stability, everything that gave hope had been smashed. And the Rebbe looked at individuals and at communities, met with people, wrote letters to people, spoke to the congregation, spoke to individuals. The Rebbe wrote prolifically. The Rebbe answered letters. I once saw, they always talked about the U.S. mail truck pulling up with all these sacks of letters. I was once standing on the corner and saw the mail truck. Unbelievable. The postman had two sacks that he dragged up the steps that were like waist high, filled with letters. And this could be a daily occurrence. In fact, the Rebbe would open every letter by himself. So the secretaries wanted to help. The Rebbe worked endlessly. The Rebbe wanted, so the secretary wanted to say, let us at least slit the letters. And the Rebbe said, no, he has to open them. And the reason is, he said, so many of these letters have been sealed with tears. You can't just open them. They have to be opened with tremendous love and attention. The sensitivity to individuals, Jew and non-Jew alike. Taking a situation and turning it into a positive. Ah, that story with Shirley Chisholm. She was the first black woman to be elected to the Senate. She was a representative in New York. And her hope was that she would be put on the Committee for Urban Affairs. In fact, that's where all the work really gets done. The senators get directed onto, they get voted onto or 
placed onto a particular committee where the real work happens. To her upset, to her despair, she was placed on agriculture. She was so finished. How dare they? Agriculture? What does she know about agriculture? She's a city person. She knows about the difficulties that kids have at school. She knows about the difficulties that people have with housing. She knows about the difficulties that people have with jobs. She wanted to help her people. And the Rebbe heard that she was upset, and he asked to see her. And he, she came into the Rebbe's office, and he said, I hear you're very upset that you were placed on agriculture. She said she was distraught. She felt it was like a knife in the back. I don't know if she said those words, but that's how I read it. The Rebbe spoke to her. He said, thousands of tons of food are dumped into the sea to control prices or to pay farmers not to plant. Milk, butter, tomatoes, etc., etc. He said, so many children go to school without breakfast. So many children will not have a hot meal. Here is an opportunity to take the food that's already there and create a lunch program. And because of the Rebbe directing Shirley, she came up with a hot lunch for children, milk for children, that children in the public schools would have sponsored food on a daily basis. From her despair, the Rebbe turned her around and told her, let's see what God has in mind by placing you on agriculture. And thanks to that, to this very day, there is a program that nurtures children in an unbelievable way. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And I'm Mashi Lipsker. Here we are on the sixth day of Tammuz, just three days, or the third day after the Yorzeit of the Rebbe. And as the Rebbe directed after the f- first Yorzeit of his Rebbe, he said, if prevailing conditions allow, all of the above should be continued during the days following the Yorzeit, particularly on the following Shabbos. And one of the points was, in the course of the day, people should visit synagogues, houses of study in their cities, and teach something from the Rebbe, and teach something that was precious to the Rebbe. And people should visit centers of youth and again explain to them the warm love that the Holy Rebbe constantly had for them. It should be explained what the Rebbe hoped for and expected of them. They should be told of the trust and the hope that he placed in them, that ultimately they would fulfill their task of strengthening the observance of Yiddishkeit and spreading the Torah, the spreading the study of Torah, and these are centers for youth, and do it with all the energy, warmth, and vitality that characterizes youth. But then I saw that talk where the Rebbe says that each and every person carries within him all the ages. So it's talking to all of us, 
talking to all of us, each one of us to tell someone else about the incredible love that he had for us and the incredible hope and the incredible trust that he put in us that we would grow and we would come close to Hashem and we would live the lives that change the world for a better place. And all of this to continue to do it, not just on the yard site, but to do it on the days following the yard site, particularly on the Shabbos following the yard site. And how did the Rebbe proceed? What did the Rebbe do to make it possible for people to become closer to Hashem? We live in a world that has been battered. Yes, there was an industrial revolution. There were many revolutions. And gradually, people were thrown out of their protective little towns. We live in the big city. We mix with other people. We don't necessarily know who we are and what our heritage is all about. And after two world wars, after so much difficulty and persecution in so many lands, obviously our education is not what it could have been when we lived within Jerusalem or when we lived within the protective walls of the shtetl. And so the, as the previous Rebbe said, America is nicht anders. And that was a statement or adage for the world. The modern world is no different. It's God's world. And the Rebbe proceeded to focus on 10 mitzvahs. And it became known as the campaign, the mitzvah campaign. And he started 50 years ago in 1967 by introducing the tefillin campaign. That was in 67. That all a person needs to do, a man or boy over the age of 13, was to put on these tefillin, say the Shema, say the blessing, say the Shema, and he's put on tefillin for the day. And that is one of the 613 mitzvahs, and it stands on its own. It's not a matter of saying, some people like to say, I'm, I'm not, a, I don't want to be a hypocrite. How can I do this? Every mitzvah stands on its own. And he came up with so many campaigns. One campaign was to conquer the world through Torah study. Torah study remained the goal. It remained what underpins everything. Because when you study God's word, you know what to do. You know how to do. In fact, the Rebbe urged the establishing of Torah libraries all over the world so that people could borrow books. In the summer, he called for taking the children who were now not at school and educating them, constantly launching these campaigns besides to fill in he, or he launched a campaign for Torah study and then a campaign for mezuzah, which our chief rabbi now has launched a campaign as well, that every Jewish home should have a mezuzah on every door, 
a kosher mezuzah. Every door except a small cupboard or a toilet or a bathroom, every door, even a garage, even a storeroom of a certain size. In fact, the chief rabbi is offering subsidies so that people can have mezuzahs. The Rebbe then launched and so many campaigns in 1974, something called a home full of Jewish books, a home full of Torah books, which he called Yavne Vachachomeha, that we should have Jewish books and holy books in our home, and they should be on display, and then we should study them as well. And the children's rooms should display holy Jewish books. A child should have his own sidur and his own chumash and his own tehillim and his own haggadah and his own tzedakah box. The Rebbe also in 1974 launched a campaign for candle lighting for Erev Shabbos and Yontif. All women should light candles and little girls from the age of three or even younger, if they can say the blessing, and the candles should be lit in the right time with the right blessing. Today we light candles at 5.09 or a little earlier. And the Rebbe had these incredible ideas. And one of them was to launch the spreading of Judaism through something called the mitzvah tanks, which were these mobile homes that were changed and outfitted to have um, a little library inside, a little coffee, um, tefillin, candles, booklets, things to give out, things to share. And people would stand outside in the street next to the parked mitzvah tank and ask people, are you Jewish? Have you put on tefillin today? Would you like a Shabbos candle? Here's a booklet. This is how you do it. And the campaigns carried on and on. Campaigns like Ahavat Yisrael, that was also a mitzvah. To show love to others. But when you show love, how do you show love? When you remember that a person is made up of a body and a soul. A person is made up of a mind and a heart. Unless all of those aspects of the person are nurtured, they won't blossom. The person won't be happy. Just as we need food to nurture the body, we need mitzvahs to nurture the soul. Just as if, God forbid, the soul, the body doesn't have the right vitamins, it cannot be well. God forbid the skin won't be what it should be. The hair won't be what it should be. The body will, God forbid, not be in the optimum health. Similarly, the soul. The soul needs mitzvahs in order to keep it energized, in order to keep it alive and well, as it were. So the Rebbe had this wonderful campaign of Ahavat Yisrael. You really want to show your love for another person? Share, materially and spiritually. You don't know what one Torah thought can do for the other. The idea that we have Torah thoughts, positive thoughts in our minds that are based on Torah, have such a strong effect 
a logical effect and a super-rational effect. We don't realize the effect of mitzvahs. We think, yes, it's a very nice custom, it, it's nice to share, but the truth is it goes beyond that because every mitzvah is God's will and wisdom. And this is what the Rebbe did. The Rebbe continued to make campaigns, a campaign for kosher, a campaign for tzedakah, a campaign for educating the young and studying Torah every single day, a campaign for married women to use the mikveh. And each and every one of these campaigns created an atmosphere, an appetite to do more and to share these with friends. And so, as we approach the Shabbos, which follows the Yorzeit of the Rebbe, let us draw inspiration from his life. Let us spread the light of Torah. Let us reach out to others with love and with a stretch, with a little bit of self-sacrifice, because very often you think, mind your own business. But the Rebbe said, no, this is your business. Your business is your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. I wish you all a good Shabbos. Please, God, that we all merit to see the realization of the hope of the Rebbe, the dream of our nation for thousands of years, the arrival, the revelation of our righteous Mashiach. Good Shabbos.